0: So we're coming towards the end of our second full day of practice together. Hmm. I notice I'm feeling really touched by the, the sincerity and uh, commitment and the good-heartedness that you're bringing to this. Really, really evident in the groups today and also in the, the feeling of the hall. So thank you. Thank you. When we, when we engage in <clears throat> practice in this way, it, 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 really, it really does seem to highlight, doesn't it? And some of you reflected on this today, just, the, just how much our experience is influenced by our clarity or lack of clarity about our intentions. Do you notice that? You know? It seems so easy in this practice to sort of sit in a soup of intentions where we try a little bit of this and then that doesn't really work and try a little bit of this you know, and that doesn't really work. And, and you know, part of the opportunity of a retreat is to have a, a, a more um, extended time and supportive space in which to practice clarifying and sustaining intentions. Which, which usually means clarifying, pr- trying to sustain, losing it, coming back, clarifying again, and, and and you know that sense of patiently sustaining and clarifying intentions. This is really integral to what we're what we're doing, or the opportunity of what we're doing. Uh, and uh, just to, to drop another little intention for you to practice with maybe. You might just like to try, as, as you listen to these reflections this evening, just keeping a, 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 a portion of your attention in your body. You know? and, and of course, like these other intentions, we'll probably lose that. But just that sense of inhabiting internally, if we're gonna use that frame, internally as well as externally. And I'd like this evening just to to offer some reflections, really about a theme that Chino, uh spoke about in in his brilliant talk last evening, uh, the, the the distinction between mindfulness and well what we could call collectedness, often translated as concentration. But I. I I, too, f- prefer the, the sense of collectedness, gatheredness. You know, the, the, this rather beautiful Pali word, samadhi, which, in fact, uh, is related to a verb, samadati, which is used to gather firewood in the suttas. So that sense of gathering or bringing together. You know. And just to reflect a bit, you know, with you about initially the, the, the distinction between this sort of, uh, well, to start with, with mindfulness, you know, mindfulness as more inclusive, you know, mindfulness where we may be exploring the different facets of experience, the different channels that Akinjano has spoken of, you know, of body, of feeling tone, of mental states, of cognitive process. So mindfulness, sati, has this sort of inclusive inquiry into what's happening and how experience is being conditioned. Samadhi, the sense of gathering, has a certain more exclusive sense where we're we're selecting themes for the attention and and really cultivating a sense of steadying, of calming, of of unifying the heart-mind. Does that make sense if we think in terms of inclusive and exclusive, at least, you know? And and of course, what we notice is that these are not separate, you know? They they depend on each other, they support each other. Ajahn Chah, one of the great Thai forest masters, spoke about these two as being like our two legs, you know? And we lean towards one, and then we lean towards the other, and it's useful to have both. Uh, and to be able to find some sorts of of balance uh, and responsiveness to what's needed at the time. But I I notice in some of the the, uh, descriptions of mindfulness in the media, certainly in the UK, uh, and also in, in some academic literature on mindfulness, that there's a bit of a confusion between mindfulness and what is often thought of as concentration. Do you notice that as well? Sometimes mindfulness is described a bit like a concentration exercise, where it's all about just focused attention. And you know, these these terms, mindfulness and, and collectedness, are not made explicit in the eight-week courses that many of you are, are, are teaching. Um, but they're certainly really present, both of them. And as our practice deepens beyond an 8-week course, it can be so helpful really to, to refine the sense of intentionality so that, so that we're, we're, we're able to cultivate both the inclusive exploration and the more, if you like, exclusive collectedness, the, 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 the centering in on, well, on what? The breath in the belly, the nostrils. Could be on the sensations in the hands, which some of you have described as finding helpful. Could be the sensations of the whole body. You know. And it certainly seems there are pointers in the suttas suggesting that, that in the Buddha's descriptions of this quality of collectedness or samadhi, he, he, he described it as a whole body experience. He, in fact, described uh, this sense of collectedness as, as a heart that has grown large. you know. Uh, and in the, the uh, Satipatthana Sutta that, that Akincheno spoke about and which we're really, in some ways, exploring this week, and also in the Sutta on the Mindfulness of Breathing, the Buddha talks about breathing in sensitive to the entire body and breathing out sensitive to the entire body. And even just as you sit here now, you know, you, you could just have that sense of what it is to to let the aperture of the awareness expand to hold the whole sense of the body, the whole field of the body's sensations. It can, can be helpful just to have that that sense of of just stretching the awareness to include the whole field of sensations. It will tend to want to keep tending to shrink, tend to keep wanting to shrink. But just that sense of expanding, actually in itself, that expanding is very conducive to a sense of collectedness, to a sense of well-being. Because in a very real way, the art of collectedness, the art of samadhi, is, in meditative terms, the art of well-being. Cultivating a sense of a nourished, collected, gathered presence. And the, the, the pleasurable quality of this is something that is really integral to this practice, and and in Kintino's reflections this morning about voluntary attention and non voluntary attention, you know, we then this is going to be a theme this week of how easily hijacked our attention can be by different stimuli, and certainly if uh, we we can, if in a sense, make the most of that or or co-opt that to support our practice by really bringing a sense of enjoyment, really bringing a sense of savoring, really bringing a sense of appreciating the beautiful, the lovely, the easeful, the quiet, the steadying in our experience. And, you know, the Buddha said, you know, this kind of pleasure should be pursued. It should be developed. It should be cultivated. It does not need to be feared. And also he said, the mind hard to control, flighty, alighting where it wishes, one does well to tame. The well-tamed mind brings happiness. And there are many blessings of this quality of samadhi to whatever extent we experience it. Maybe you've had some moments today where you've had that sense of how the mind likes to be more collected. How there's a, there's a, a pleasantness in the sense of calm or in the sense of steadying. A certain buoyancy can come into our experience as we cultivate this sense of of gathering our heart minds into the present moment. and I think quite fundamental to this in lots of ways is cultivating a sense of ground uh, I'm always. Struck by the story of Siddhartha on the night of his awakening, uh, when uh, so the, the the story goes, Mara, this embodiment of distraction, confusion, obstruction, sort of throws all his strategies to try to prevent Siddhartha awakening, and at the height of this what he does is he touches the earth. And, and we see here in, in this beautiful, beautiful stature of, of the Buddha, this this gesture of touching the earth, which is called the Mara-repelling mudra. Yeah. And, you know, this is a resonant gesture that's capable of being interpreted in a, in a variety of ways. But perhaps what I I, I take from it most or most appreciate in it is that reminder about the importance of ground, the importance of knowing where we can take our attention in a way that steadies, that supports, that feels safe, that feels in a certain way like home. And, and this is so fundamental for for all of us. So fundamental for a sense of well-being, because you know, without a sense of ground, we just get spun around in this human realm, don't we? You know, even just to watch the news, you know, we get spun around. And, and we can so easily be sort of charged and recharged in a way that can cause our systems, these sensitive systems that we have, so much confusion and distress. Uh, and, you know, what it is to, to, to make a daily cultivation of a sense of ground. There's, there's a certain There's a certain unearned quality about it. It's just here, you know. And there are many different facets of our experience that can be grounds for us, you know. So it might right now be just the feeling of the sit bones in the buttocks on the cushion or the chair or the stool, you know. Or the feeling of your feet or your knees on the floor. or or the weight of the lower half of the body or of the hands, the arms, the breath and the abdomen. For for some people, the, the meta phrases that you explored with Jaya this afternoon, these can be a very profound and supportive ground. And, and uh, awareness itself, <laughs> awareness itself, we may begin to sense how underlying the sensations of the body is ground There can be a sense of a deeper ground of awareness itself. You know? And just the sanity of this. You know? uh, and particularly when we work as therapists or mindfulness teachers or social workers, you know, as well as being parents and partners and friends and colleagues and, you know, how helpful it is to have, if you like, to have an earth plug. Am I right in thinking some of the plugs here have an earth fuse? Is that right? You know, uh, and that that, or a lightning conductor, you know, that could be the image, you know cuz sometimes the charge is really strong and the wisest thing can be to put it in the earth <laughs> you know and to know how somatically to do that you know where if we can keep a portion of our attention when we're teaching an MBSR class in the sit bones and in the in the heels that may be really supportive to a sense of ground as well as a sense of you know availability and responsiveness uh, we're reflecting with one of the groups today how the, the heart won't open until it feels sufficiently supported. And, and probably it shouldn't open. That's, that's why the heart defends itself and closes, because there isn't often enough sense of ground. Uh, and, and so really to cultivate a sense of ground as a support for our relationality with ourselves, with others, with our our world, you know, very, very fundamental here. Very, very fundamental. Just mm-hmm. mm. was remembering earlier Hamlet's phrase about the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, you know, and just how we need to know where the ground is. You know? And another ground that that the Buddha spoke about as a foundation for this quality of collectedness is the ground of ethics. Do we sense that? Do we sense just what a support it is really to be practicing or seeking to practice a sense of clarity and integrity? Because when we don't, it's so easy to be agitated with anxiety or regret or fear, isn't it? You know, such a support to a sense of well-being, really to, to be cultivating a ground in the domain of ethics. So, you know, again, as you're sitting here now, just tuning into this, <laughs> tuning into this sense of ground, Noticing how it changes the felt sense of experience when I am in touch with that sense of grounding, that intention to ground. When I can keep a portion of my attention sensitive to the sensations in that place. And whatever ground we're practicing with, the the Buddha also offered five factors of collectedness that can be very supportive for deepening uh, this, this sense of, of presence, coherence, gatheredness in our experience. Really, in a certain way of, of training this voluntary attention that we've been reflecting on a bit today. So I'd just like to, to, to outline these, these five factors, which are very accessible. And, and somewhat like craft tools in a certain way. Um, and the first is, is what we could call directed attention, or thought that, that directs our attention. So that might be, oh, in-breath, or out-breath, or hands, or lifting, moving, placing when we're walking. We, we can sometimes think of thought as being somehow the enemy in meditation. But, but it's so important to see that thought has many, many useful and important functions, one of which is to direct our attention to experience you know, and, and how helpful that can be. You know, and sometimes some of you have spoken about just using a little word that says, oh, breathing in, breathing out, particularly when the mind is feeling very, what was the Buddha's phrase, flighty, and alighting where it wishes, you know? Just that, that thought that takes the attention to the hands or the sit bones or the breath in the nostrils. So this is the first of these. And the second we could translate as something like receptive sensitivity because we can see that, okay, the thought goes hands, but then what? You know, actually, there's, there's something to explore here in this experience of hands. And the second quality, the, the Pali is vichara. The first one's vitaka, the second one is vichara, it is really about a sensitivity to this experience. Feeling it out, feeling the sensations, exploring it. Moving, if you like, beyond the label. <laughs> So, the label hands into the experience that we're calling hands. And this is part of what sustains connection. You can feel how the first directed attention goes, okay, connect. And then how do we sustain that connection? Well, by exploring, by feeling, by sensing, by deepening into. It's sort of the yin. So the, the, you know, the directed one is, is more like a yang gesture, isn't it, in a certain way? And then there's this receptive quality. I was, was reflecting with one of the groups today how huh? there's a really important dimension of practice that is satellite dish, you know, that is receiving sensations and exploring in that kind of listening way, almost like listening to the hands you know, feeling their sensations. And part of the, the implication in the Pali here is something a bit evaluative where we're sensing, okay, how does the body want to breathe right now if it's the breath you're working with? What's a comfortable way to breathe this breath? You know, does it need energizing or soothing? You know, and this is, this is part of what this second quality explores, really, that, that c- can also be an exploration of, of how much effort is needed here. Because effort, the Buddha compared effort to being a bit like tuning a guitar string, where we can have too much effort and it's just a bit too tight, and we can have too little effort where it's just all a bit you know, floppy and not really in tune, but tuning the effort level, very important part of practice. Can you feel that as we practice here? You know, really to give attention to effort and be sensitive to, to that is a very skillful dimension of practice and being interested in it will help to keep the sense of connection. So we've got this directed attention and then we've got this receptive sensitivity that feels the sensations, that that explores. Just notice, you know, in the instructions you probably give for a body scan, for instance, if you're an MBSR teacher, you know, we need to use both, don't we? It's not, not enough just to say, you know, big toe, heel, <laughs> you know, knee. You know, Actually, we need to be both directing the spotlight, if you like, but also then inviting this exploration of sensations. This is what this second quality is really about. And, and you know, sometimes we can find on retreat when the mind is becoming more settled that actually we don't need so much of the yang energy that's directing us, that, that the sense of connection is something that starts to sustain more easily by itself. And there's a sense just of sensitivity and receptivity and presence. The third of these qualities is is uh, often translated with the word "rapture," which may feel like a bit of a high bar right now, you know but. Uh, one way of seeing it or experiencing it is, a, is a, a sort of appreciative fullness, an appreciative fullness. We can, if you like, water the seeds of rapture by cultivating this attitude of appreciation. And, and have you had this out in the snow at all of just you know looking at the sunset, glistening on the snow, or just that sense of the beauty of the scenery? And there's a, an appreciative fullness in that moment of experience. You know? uh, and this is very important, very helpful to, to encourage. You know? And uh, it feels like on retreat, there's the, I think we said this on the first night, that part of the art of being on <coughs> retreat is opening to a sense of nourishment. Really becoming more available for being nourished, really letting the beauty in you know, the beauty, the goodness, the kindness, the quietness, the sanity of space, ground. It's an art, isn't it, to, to let it in. We've, we've already heard about how our attention tends to be to scan our experience looking for problems, you know, the negative attention bias. And and one of the ways in which we can, if you like, tend and care for the conditions that nourish a sense of collectedness is, is really to practice a, a sense of appreciation, a sense of gratitude. A sense of of inspiration as well. This is, this is not somehow uh, ancillary to the practice. This is central to the practice, really to cultivate a sense of letting ourselves be nourished. And, and part of what that will do is, is support when, when there's an embodied appreciation. We start to notice this capacity of the body to feel Okay, to feel ease, to feel joy, to feel a quiet sense of pleasure. And this is really what this this quality of PT, or suggesting this description, appreciative fullness, is about an embodied sense of well-being that we're cultivating. Even as you're sitting here now, can you just have that sense of of taking a long, slow in-breath? And then on the out-breath, just having a, a conscious intention to appreciate the field of body sensations. Appreciate whatever sense, however quiet, the sense of pleasantness or ease. Uh, And one of the things we can notice here is that this is entirely possible even when there are parts of the body that are uncomfortable. We we can practice a sort of peaceful coexistence with the discomfort, you know, and, and noticing and really appreciating those parts of the body that are not uncomfortable, that are not agitated because part of the negative attention bias is that we tend to go to and orient to the places of difficulty, and overlook often you know, huge areas of the body that are really doing okay, or may even be feeling quietly pleasant. D- does, does this make sense? You know, it's a really important thing to notice that you know, the, the intensity and, if you like, the, the size, of difficulty or discomfort in within the body is not something objective. It depends very much on how we're holding it, how we're relating to it, the way of looking at it, if you like, or the way of experiencing it. Uh, and that part of the part of the, the meditative art is really learning how to at times, really n- not pay attention to the discomfort. There is such a thing as wise avoidance, yeah. where what we're doing is highlighting those parts of the body that feel grounding or steadying or nourishing or easeful and really letting the sense of you know, what's uncomfortable or agitated just be held within a larger sea of okayness. Could almost imagine the the sort of the waves of okayness just just lapping at the edges, the more jagged edges of discomfort, you know. So that we're we're contextualizing difficulty. And part of this 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 part of these uh, this dimension of these factors is a sense of healing and bathing and soothing. Samadhi has a You know, the the smoothing and soothing and caring for, caring for the energies of the body. Part of what we discover is that we can experience the body in so many different ways. And, you know, to have that sense right now of the body as a field of energy. Do you get that? You know? And sometimes that's a very conducive way of looking or way of perceiving for deepening a sense of samadhi, where where the labels and the boundaries dissolve and there's just a sense of, okay, I can be refreshed or nourished by this in-breath, by this out-breath. And the, the Buddha... Uh, used a very, I think, a a very beautiful simile here. He he describes this cultivation of samadhi in in this way. He says, the meditator permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body with the pleasure and ease born from withdrawal. So that's, if you like, the pleasure and ease that comes from no longer outwardly chasing, you know, the sense of collectedness that retreat context really supports. Just as if a skilled bathman or bathman's apprentice would pour bath powder into a brass basin and knead it together, sprinkling it again and again with water so that his ball of bath powder, saturated, moisture-laden, permeated within and without, would nevertheless not drip, even so, the practitioner permeates this very body with the pleasure and ease born of withdrawal. There is nothing of her entire body unpervaded by the pleasure and ease born of withdrawal. Do you get that sense there? A little bit of how you know the body sensations could be like the bath powder. No. And how the water could be this sense of appreciative awareness. And the kneading, you know, the kneading of the the bath salts into a ball. Just sense how the breath can do that a bit. So there can be this sense of just a a gentle enjoyment. This is not about something dramatic, but about appreciating a gentle enjoyment of this particular in-breath this particular out-breath. So many of the Buddha's images for this quality of samadhi are ones of saturation. Almost like you're soaking the whole body in a friendly, appreciative awareness. Every cell, every pore. You know. And even if there's just an intimation of what that's about, just notice that's something I can gently encourage and coax in the heart, mind, and body. That sense of an appreciative receiving of body sensations. This this orienting to nourishment. It it can be that in in a retreat context, we can... We can feel a bit arid in a certain way. You know, we, can, we can go into a, a slight sort of deprivation mentality. But what it is, in, in fact, to open out to a sense of nourishment. Uh, and we find that samadhi and well-being feed each other. You know, the more sense of collectedness, the more sense of appreciation, the more sense of well-being the greater the sense of well-being, the more the heart-mind is willing to collect itself or be collected. And this flows also into the next of these factors, which is the factor of ease. Ease or relaxation. You know, Just sensing what it is to, to deeply to let the body relax. Deeply to let the being relax, if you like. Sensing the possibility of a, a sort of internal sufficiency. We, we, our culture encourages, to, encourages us to, to live with a sense of insufficiency, doesn't it? Of what's lacking. And to have that sense of there's something out there that I've got to get. You know? And what is it, is it just as we sit and walk? Just to be cultivating a sort of inner sufficiency. This is enough for this moment. You know, I don't need more than is here. You know, I can appreciate and be nourished by what's here. Part of this, this quality is also just a heartfelt quality where, where we, almost like tuning one of those old analog radios, you know, you, you just tuning to, to a sense of contentment. And even if it's really crackly and you can scarcely hear it, just to keep tuning to that sense of, okay, there's something broadcasting on that frequency right now that I can tune to. You know, even if there's other stuff going on, can I tune to the sense of contentment? And the, the, the final of these five qualities is, is a quality of, of harmonizing cohering, unifying, and do you know that sense at the end of the body scan where you've been through the body and then there's the invitation to open up and feel the whole body lying there? You know, some nods around the room, you know, and just to notice that that sort of unification that is possible and and just to have that intention that we've got our ball of bath powder of the body uh, and we're we're seeking almost to to shape it into a sense of coherence, to allow it to cohere. To feel the body not so much as separate parts, but as a, a unified field. So these these five these five qualities of of directed attention, of receptive sensitivity, of this sort of appreciative fullness, of a sense of ease and relaxation, and this cultivation of of a more unified or coherent sense of the field of the body. I hope you sense that these are quite practical yeah, you know, we, we these are not linear. They're are little craft tools that we can employ at different moments. It's possible even to engage these even even in the middle of a thought storm. Just that sense of okay, I'm going to come back to the soles of the feet, feet, <laughs> sensing the feet, you know. widening to feel the whole body, having a sense of easing or relaxing there, the felt sense of the body, you know. These are tools that are, are intended to be, to be practical, doable. And the Buddha again and again compared this practice to being like a craft. And we know that what's required in, in craft is patience, isn't it? I once went on a, a summer school exploring the teachings of Mahatma Gandhi and I, I was taught to spin and I was hopeless at it, completely hopeless. But one thing I did learn from that was the focus on, on process rather than product. Do you notice that? If you've tried spinning, if you focus on what's coming out the end, you get very disheartened. You know? <laughs> uh, and actually the practice is about exploring what, what the process is, what, you, what you're cultivating, if you like, what you're putting into the system. And the Buddha again and again uses this this term bhavana, meaning cultivation as a description of what we're doing. And really to trust that, to trust that, because trying to get collected, if I'm trying for samadhi, trying for pleasure and appreciation, that's a recipe for frustration, you know? But this sense of, Okay, can I cultivate these qualities? Directing, receiving, appreciating, easing, unifying, you know. And, and to trust that that these bring benefits. To trust that these bring benefits, you know. If you're growing carrots, it doesn't help to dig them up every other day and measure how far they're growing, you know. But, Actually, just to take care of what am I putting in here what am I, what am I giving to the cultivation and to trust this is bringing benefits and it may be that that uh, um, hearing this, you, know, you you may have a sense of oh this, this sounds like a lot of doing. I thought this practice was all was meant to be about being and just to offer some reflections on that, you know, the, this distinction that's often used in mindfulness-based interventions between doing and being, just to notice that, that that quality of being can be very helpful as a teaching tool, but it's not an instruction that the Buddha a- ever gave. You know? And c- certainly in, in the understanding of early Buddhist psychology, so long as any any experience of, of object or subject is arising within consciousness, there is some degree of doing going on. You know? and, and there's the understanding that our experience is fabricated by all sorts of unconscious concepts and assumptions and beliefs about what's real. And actually what samadhi is about, what this collectedness is about, is about less Doing. You know, it's actually about cultivating states that involve less fabrication of experience, less reaching after what's not here, less solidity in a certain way. And you know, the, the Buddha outlined, if you like, a spectrum of, of samadhi, a spectrum of Collectedness with different bandwidths that involve less and less doing less and less fabrication and, and these are experiences that can become available to us as we explore this certainly the, the uh, suttas describe samadhi in terms also of the quietening of the hindrance factors and Uh, these may well be familiar to you. If not, they're a very helpful and a very compassionate list. Uh, uh, And these are the five factors that perennially obscure and veil our experience, particularly when when we're committing to something. And this could be to learning the piano or to working out how to use your computer, which it can be a long-term task, uh, and you know, to relationships. These, these, these factors really are um, at the root of, of our turbulence. They're certainly at the root of, of the mental health difficulties that any of us can find our way into. And uh, just in the final part of what I'm offering this evening. Just wanted to remind you of them because uh, they can be so supportive to remember. You know? These factors of the first being craving for sense pleasures. You know? Anyone had any of that today? You know? Notice how we relate to the thought of lunch or the thought of, oh, I could do this tofu recipe at home. You know, uh, The thought of... Uh, Future events, the, the way we can graze at the notice boards, you know, reading and rereading the same notices, you know, somehow looking for stimulation, you know, planning the next retreat, you know. Just to notice that pull of the mind and feel how different that is from the sort of collectedness that we've been reflecting on. And the second of the hindrances is, is the, the many flavors of aversion, you know, boredom, judgmentalism, irritability, anger, regret, fear, jealousy. You know, so easily these are, are a springboard to craving, aren't they? You know. <coughs> We've spoken a bit about the dullness and sleepiness that is the third of these veiling factors, and the restlessness and worry that's the fourth. And the fifth is doubt, the doubt that can doubt ourselves. You know, we can, and this sometimes comes up on day two of a retreat, isn't it, when you think, oh, I just can't do this. Just can't do this, you know. Or it could be, you know, doubt of the path or the practice where we say, you know, oh, this mindfulness isn't for me, you know. Should have done the Zumba course this week instead, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And one really to, to look for the doubt, isn't it, because it comes in when our strategies for trying to deal with the other ones haven't worked, you know and I find this such a compassionate list, you know because it normalizes it says this is our common humanity to experience these these uh, qualities, these these in a sense defense systems that, that, that come up and obscure and cloud, you know. And, you know, there, there are times where we, we would like to cultivate a sense of collectedness, but actually there's an emotional storm going on, you know, or there's a lot of agitation. And, and I thought I'd, I'd just remind you of, of that very helpful acronym from Michelle McDonald, one of the... Uh, early teachers here of, of rain. Have you come across this? You know, so so recognize. It's said that when Mara threw these storms at Siddhartha on the night of his awakening, Siddhartha said, "I know you, Mara. You know, I know you." And just how helpful it is as we practice to recognize the mental state that has has set in and that is wanting to take us for a ride because that's what the hindrances can do aren't they it's almost like they've sort of got little hooks in them and they hook on and pump us with a story that wants to take us for a ride you know whether that's a story of desire or aversion or doubt you know and just to say oh this is boredom you know this is irritability really supportive of just stepping back you know it's hard to be completely stuck in the mental state that we're also interested in. So just, just to recognize. recognize. Recognizing aversion is the title of one of the core sessions of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and just you know how, what an important part it is of our work as therapists and mindfulness teachers and social workers to help our clients develop that capacity to recognize their mental states in order to be less governed by them. The A, which stands for allow, that that willingness to uh, breathe with the moment's experience rather than brace against it. Sometimes allowing starts with being willing to tolerate and breathe with and find our ground in the midst of and gradually allow and befriend. You know, that sense that, okay, right now it's like this. Right now it's like this. This wave of emotion is passing through or this boredom is, is here. And, and sometimes just recognizing and allowing is enough, isn't it? Do you notice that? Even just to recognize a mood just changes the relationship enough so that there's a greater sense of well being or there's a a sense of of being able to to cultivate the collectiveness in the midst of it. And sometimes what's really needed is, is the eye of investigating with kindness, where we're exploring how does this feel in the body. How does this this mood, how does this restlessness feel in the body? How does it affect the breathing? Where in the body is not caught up with this? You know, the soles of your feet are probably not bothered about that situation at work. You know? Really helpful to know that. (laughs) You know? The sit bones are doing really fine, even in the midst of this irritability, you know? Really helpful to, to know that, and that can be a ground that enables us to relate differently. What story am I believing? This is a very helpful question to explore as we investigate. I, I sometimes try to remember that line from the, the song, It ain't necessarily so, you know. Just a useful, when doubt sets in, that's a useful one. What happens if I remember compassion and kindness? This can be another way of investigating. What happens if I remember a sense of compassion? If I put my hand on my heart? Or a sense of humor? I love Pema Chodron, one of her uh, descriptions of metta is an unconditional sense of humor. Very useful in this practice. Very helpful in this practice. Another investigative question could be, I wonder how long this will last. I wonder how long this boredom will last. Or this sense of hopelessness will last. Just highlights how impermanent these states are. And... Part of the practice here, then, is is getting to know these hindrance factors, which is such a service to ourselves and those we live and work with, (laughs) and also such a service to our clients and to those we may teach, really to become quite literate in the hindrance factors and how they work and what gives a sense of ground or brings a sense of compassion in the midst of them. And the final uh, part of the acronym RAIN is is N for non-identification, not self. Sometimes one can go straight to this and just have that sense of, oh, this anxiety is not me, not mine. It's just weather. It's just born of conditions. Not to take it personally. So these different dimensions of uh, the craft of, of practice. You know, I'm conscious of having offered a few lists this evening. Uh, but you know, just, just as a reminder, the, the, uh, these cultivations of samadhi, the directing, the receiving, the appreciating, the easing, the unifying and the cohering, which we can use as we cultivate a collectedness in the field of the body, which has been our theme of the day. These hindrance factors of of sensual desire, craving, aversion, sleepiness, dullness, restlessness, doubt, and these helpful reminders of re- recognize allow investigate and non identification these these are uh, so so helpful so supportive of the craft of our practice and and we can sense you know how mindfulness and this collectedness, really support each other, really support each other. At different times, it feels helpful to, to inflect the attention more to a collecting, a, a, a gathering, a settling. At other times, more to an exploring and investigating. But we, we can see how the more collected and steady the mind is, the more we see things clearly. The more... This quality of collectiveness supports insight, and and just to bring this awareness into our teaching, into our practice of mindfulness. So these uh, offerings in in the hope that uh, some of this has been helpful and, and can be u- useful to you. You know, as, as you inquire uh, what's needed now, what's helpful now, what's possible now. So much more is possible for us than we tend to assume. So much more is possible for us than we tend to assume. So even if talking of, of pleasure and nourishment feels like a high bar, don't, don't exclude yourself from that possibility. Take a breath and appreciate that. And you're there. You know, that's, that's what we're cultivating. That, that deepening possibility. I'd like just to finish with a version of a, another verse from the Dhammapada. Dhammapada where the the Buddha says, don't disregard the potential of sincere and skillful intentions and practice, thinking the benefits won't come back to me. With dripping drops of water, even a water jug is filled. Little by little, those practicing sincerely and with skillful intention, will be filled with benefit, beneficial results. So may that be true for each of you. Let's uh, just take a few moments to pause together.